Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. It's Lon Seibin. It's time once again for your weekly wrap-up, and we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about this week, including my productive week last week. We're going to look briefly at Wi-Fi 6, which is the newest Wi-Fi technology. Unfortunately, you can't actually buy anything to take advantage of all of the routers you can find out there in the marketplace. We'll explore that. B&H will be reimbursing sales tax to people that sign up for their high-interest credit card. We'll explore that deal in a minute. Lagless input marketing claims. Is it a myth on game controllers or is it somewhat true? We'll explore that topic. EMMC memory on smartphones. Is it enough or do you need more than that? We'll investigate. And the last item will be Netflix content overload. We'll continue some thoughts I had about how I never watch anything on Netflix because there's just too much stuff to watch. A lot more to talk about, so let's get to it. And before we begin, I want to thank our newest supporters here on the channel, including Roberto Rivera, who gave via our donor box page, and then Mark Bollinger and David Gablonski uh, both made Super Chat contributions last week during the premiere of last week's wrap-up. Tonight's wrap-up will not have a premiere. I am on my school board, as many of you know, and we have our big budget town meeting tonight, so I have to be there for that, which runs at the same time you'll be seeing this video. So wish me luck, and I want to thank everyone who has supported the channel through their contributions and through just watching, because all of those things equal channel growth. So now let's move on to the week in review. We had a lot of stuff on the Extras channel this week, six videos in all, including a couple of mini reviews of a $25 Surface Pen here, along with the Canon Ivy Click camera. Uh, This is probably the most disappointing Canon product I have ever seen. You cannot take a picture unless one of the 50 cent per print little pages comes out when you push the shutter button. It won't let you take pictures without paper in it. Crazy. Check it out. Uh, and a couple of other unboxings, including the Wise Sense and the Google Pixel 3a and the Samsung Notebook Flash that we reviewed on the main channel. And of course, on the main channel, we had a pretty good week this week because there was a lot of stuff that interested you subscribers, including the review of both that Samsung Notebook and that Pixel 3a phone, and of course, the Wise Sense review. And then we had our sponsored video with the Mocha Alliance to talk about filter placement and other issues that you might come into play with when you are setting up your Mocha network. So a lot of good content this week, I think. At least it looks like the viewers liked it, and you can check it all out in the master playlist down below. And now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind, and this is week 115 of me doing this as a full-time occupation, and I had a very productive week this week. We cranked out 11 videos in total between the Extras channel and this channel, And there's a couple of reasons for that. Some of the things were actually very quick and easy to review. So, for example, we looked at this $25 Surface Pen alternative. It doesn't do much. There's not much to show. And the things that you do want to talk about don't take long to evaluate and demonstrate on camera. In fact, I was able to shoot this with a single take. 
So it was just a matter of taking the file off the TriCaster, putting the end cap on it, and uploading it. Uh, that Canon Click camera was another one. I was planning to actually have that on the main channel here, but it turned out to be kind of a dud, and there wasn't much to do with it because it only took pictures, and if there was no paper in it, it didn't take any pictures at all. So we were able to crank that one out in less than an hour as well. Uh, then the computer review, that one follows kind of a formula. Uh, so typically when a computer comes in, I turn it over to Jake, who helps me out here in the studio. He installs all the software, gets everything up and running. Uh, he runs a lot of the initial tests on it, and then I take it for a while and play around with it and try to get a feel for the device, and then we review it. And I've been reviewing computers now for the last five or six years, and they tend to follow a formula now. I know what the viewers are looking for, and, and I just kind of follow that same formula every time, unless there is one thing about the computer that's very unique or different, and then we'll dive a little bit into that. Uh, we might see that a little later this week with a Lenovo laptop that has some differentiating features that we might take a closer look at, which might take a little bit more time to shoot and also a little bit more time to prepare. Uh, but generally, the computers and the phones and those things tend to follow a formula that allow for a very predictable workflow. It's the types of products that don't follow that typical uh, workflow procedure that take more time. So there are things that are kind of a new product category, perhaps. So for example, next week when the Oculus Quest comes in, that will take a long time to review because I have to get a feel for the hardware, how it works, how am I going to demonstrate how the device works and shoot it in real time like I usually do for all my other videos. So there's certain things that just take longer, and some weeks the things that don't take longer all happen to be ready at the same time, and you get 11 videos. So that's typically how it goes. I might do at some point, I, I've, done, I've done these in the past, but I haven't done one recently, uh, maybe do a little behind the scenes so you can see exactly what the workflow is maybe from start to finish. Maybe we'll take a product and document uh, the, the path that it takes to review it uh, because there's a lot that happens before I sit down and start shooting. And actually the shooting of the video tends to be the shortest part of the entire endeavor because I shoot everything live to disc. When I switch cameras like this, I'm actually operating it here from the desk so I don't have to edit those things back in later. But it's really getting everything ready for the stage that... Uh, takes a lot of the time. So maybe we'll do that. I'll find the right product to look at. Maybe the Oculus Quest might be a fun one to do, and maybe we'll have Jake follow me around as we play around with that and throw something together for you, because I know a lot of you were interested in that. Now, another topic uh, that I've been following is the development of Wi-Fi 6, and this is the uh, AX standard, which goes beyond AC. It provides faster speeds, of course, depending on how far away you are from the access point. And I've been getting a lot of PR people emailing me to test out their Wi-Fi 6 routers and access points. And I've been very excited to do that. But every time they offer me one, I say, okay, how about a client to go with that access point? And nobody's got one. In fact, I don't think there are any Wi-Fi 6 clients out in the wild right now that you can buy as an add-on or even built into a laptop yet, uh, which is kind of funny. And they said, well, you can review it anyhow, right? I said, not really. How do you review a new feature when there's no way to use the new feature? So if you know of any Wi-Fi 6 clients, either USB or PCI, uh, let me know down in the comments below. Maybe we'll try to get in one of these devices to review. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye. And the other night on Twitter, a bunch of people contacted me about this new thing from B&H to avoid paying sales tax on online purchases. So as many of you know, here in the United States, the Supreme Court said that online retailers have to collect sales tax now for states that require it. So, for example, if I buy something from B&H Photo, 
I'm charged a 6.35% sales tax. I'm also charged from Amazon and all the other online retailers out there as well. Now, what B&H has done, though, is they came up with a new credit card that they call PayBoo, kind of a crazy name. Uh, And if you use the credit card, they will pay you back instantly for the sales tax if your state is one of the states that collects it. So in my instance here, if I were to buy something from B&H, I would get 6.35% back immediately on the sale, basically washing out the tax. And you wonder, how can they afford to do that on such low margin items? Well, the way they can afford to do that is by pairing up with a bank called Synchrony, and they issue credit cards for retailers. In fact, Amazon uses them as well. And the B&H PayBoo card has a 30% APR on it. So if you are planning to carry a balance for a few months, they will easily make back that 6.35% they are giving you up front. So it won't take long for that 30% APR to uh, accrue on a month-to-month basis and wipe out all of the sales tax savings that you got initially. The boo in pay boo is that interest rate. So just be prepared, pay down the balance if you want to save the tax. Now, Amazon also has a Synchrony Bank card. Uh, Their interest rate is just slightly lower. It's like 28 or 29%, but it's variable. Now, they'll give you 5% back if you are a Prime member on your purchases, which uh, for me will wipe out most of the sales tax, but I don't get it back immediately. Uh, They give you a rewards balance that uh, they accrue over the course of the month, but you can't get access to the rewards until your statement gets issued. At least that's been my experience with it. Uh, But it can save you money, again, if you're paying down those balances at the end of the month before the interest rate hits. Uh, And they also have some interest-free deals. So if you spend $5.99 or more on certain items, you can have 12 months to pay them back interest-free. But there's a catch here, too. you got to pay the minimum payment, number one. But number two, if you don't pay back that full balance by the end of the year, you pay all of the interest that accrued over the 12 months. They'll wipe out that interest if you pay it in full by the end of the year here, but if you don't, uh, you will pay a lot of interest, about 28 or 29%. So be advised, you can save money, provided you stay on top of those balances and making sure you pay them down as quickly as possible. And this is the give and take of the credit card industry. They will always win if you hold a balance in their bank. Now, this story is kind of a big deal if you are an Apple user. Uh, Just a little while ago, the Supreme Court ruled that customers can sue Apple because of the presumed monopoly of the App Store. It doesn't change anything right now. It doesn't declare that uh, Apple is violating antitrust laws, but it allows consumers to test whether or not Apple is violating those laws. And the argument here is that if you own an iPhone or an iPad, The only way you can buy applications for it is through the Apple Store. You can't install them anywhere else. And Apple is really the only platform that I can think of, at least major platform, that has this restriction. So if you look at uh, Android, you can buy the apps on the Google Play Store or maybe install the Amazon App Store and get them that way. On other platforms like the PC, we have the choice of Steam and Epic and Microsoft or direct downloads. There's a lot of different options for bringing things over to your device. But on Apple, the App Store is it. And the plaintiffs in this case were arguing that that monopoly of the App Store is hurting consumers because we're all paying Apple 30% for whatever app we download and there's no competition to try to drive down that cost lower. So this could result, if it continues, 
uh, in maybe having more than one app store, or at least the ability to download apps separately and install them ourselves on iOS hardware. And this is certainly something that will play out now over the next couple of months or years. But this was not a good outcome for Apple today, but I think it is a good one for consumers. Apple's stock at the time of recording this video is down about 5% over this news because Apple is really trying to boost its revenues through their services. And this, of course, is one of their major services, that App Store. So we'll have to see how this plays out. Let me know what you think down below in the comments. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And our first question comes in from Tim Vreeland, who's been having some discussions with friends and family in regards to input lag on game controllers. Now, one of the things that we often see when they're marketing a game controller is that it introduces zero lag into the mix. And that is not always the case. Uh, We've done a lot of testing on input lag here on the channel. We test it not only with game controllers, but also with monitors, because there's a lot going on, which we're going to get into in a second. Now, what I do to test input lag is I use my iPhone because it has a 240 frames per second slow motion camera. And what I do is I shoot the screen and a button at 240 frames per second, and I count how long it takes for a button push to register on screen. It's not completely scientific, but it gets you close enough to see what some of the variations are. Now, some of the best controllers that I have tested include an 8-bit dough wired uh, arcade stick. Uh, That one comes in at around 38 milliseconds or so when it's directly connected to my PC on a 144 hertz gaming monitor. On the other end of the spectrum were some of the cheaper uh, Bluetooth game controllers that connect up to Android devices. Some of those we saw taking as much as 120 milliseconds for a button push to register on screen. And I'm finding that if you thought you were really good at a game back in the 80s or 90s and you start playing it now in emulation, uh, the reason why you may not be as good at the game now is that the input lag is just enough that your muscle memory has to get retrained to account for that slight delay. And I think there's a significant issue out here based on how some of the architecture involving game controllers is designed. And I wanted to, first of all, talk about how things used to be. So back in the old days, back when things were better, uh, we had a CRT television and an Atari 2600, for example, all hooked up with analog cables, and there wasn't much in between a game controller button and something happening on screen. In fact, on the old Atari 2600 joystick, for example, every pin was mapped to a controller direction, and when you moved the controller up, for example, it would basically close a circuit, and uh, pin one here would be pulsing out some electrical signals to the Atari, and your thing would happen on screen without much in between. Uh, Now, however, things are much more complicated now that CRTs have gone away and everything is digital from start to finish. So here are some of the factors that go into input lag that I have detected over the years. Uh, The first is the speed of the HID chip inside of your controller. So when you push a button on the controller now, that electrical signal is still happening much in the same way it did 40-something years ago on the Atari, but what's happening is is that signal goes to a chip inside of the game controller. It converts that signal into a data packet that gets pushed out through USB or over Bluetooth, and that goes back to your host device, which has a host Bluetooth or USB controller. When it gets that signal, 
it has to decode that packet and then it's got to do something with it. So there's some lag just right out of the gate with that process. It's no longer a straight electrical signal back to the device. It is a little bit of digital processing going on. And then if you're using something like a USB hub, that introduces another hop that that data has to take. So we're broadcasting from the controller to the USB uh, controller inside of the hub. That hub then has to take that packet and pass it along to the computer. This all happens very quickly, but this is an additive thing. Every bit of lag that happens anywhere along this process here will be added to whatever lag came before it. So when you get down to the TV level here, uh, our digital TVs get their signals digitally from a computer or game console. The TV has to process that digital signal and turn it back into an image. And some TVs just do it faster than others. Sometimes you might be at 720p and scaling up to 1080p, or maybe you're going at 1080p to a 4K TV. There are some things that have to happen to get those images looking properly on your uh, television screen, and that adds some overhead and some input lag. Then you've got considerations like the refresh rate for your PC. Is it at 60 hertz or is it at 30? How does that impact things? If you have VSync on, that might impact when that uh, game controller output gets detected and displayed on screen. Maybe it has to wait until the next frame for that to appear. I found that my 144 hertz monitor delivers better performance than when it's at 60 because there are more frames to display in a second. Now, some TVs have a game mode that you'll want to make sure is on, because if it's off, that will really impact your uh, overall input lag performance. So make sure that game mode is on. Uh, and then, of course, you've got things like emulation overhead, because some emulators do introduce some lag on their own. On top of all the other lag that came before, uh, it got the signal from the USB or Bluetooth host controller. So there's just so much nowadays going into this, uh, rather than the nearly direct connection we had between the button and the TV screen back in the old days when things were definitely better. Uh, so there's really just a lot going on here, and I think it makes some of these really... Uh, difficult platform games, really hard to replicate now. And this is also why it's always best if you really are into retro gaming to play those games on original hardware on a CRT television because you will not have any of this stuff in the way uh, while you're playing that game and you might actually do a lot better as a result. Remember, these games were designed back then uh, around the fact that there wasn't any of this input lag to deal with, and they are really programmed with that assumption. Today's games are actually being programmed a little differently, and that's going to lead me to my pick of the week this week. So up on GameSpot's YouTube channel is a great video about the hidden details of Dead Cells. Now, if you're not familiar with Dead Cells, it is a great platform hack-and-slash game uh, that is uh, procedurally generated. So every time you play through, the game is a little bit different. And one of the things that this game is universally praised for is its control scheme. You really feel like you're moving the character around and really have very fine control over how the character jumps and uh, moves around from one scene to the next. But as it turns out, they actually baked in some things to help the player get around a little bit easier. So for example, as you're hopping up platforms like that, occasionally you might jump a little bit too early and what the developers decided to do was actually create a little bit of a mulligan there. So if you jumped a little bit early, it will actually make your character just jump a little bit further to reach the platform on the other side. They didn't want to take away some of the fun factor, they said. 
And I think a lot of it might be due to the fact that everyone's experience with input lag is now very different. If I'm on a TV that is introducing 80, 90, 120 milliseconds of input lag, my experience and my enjoyment of the game might be different than somebody who's on one of those 144 hertz gaming monitors with 38 milliseconds of input lag. So as a result, the game kind of accounts for that without the player really knowing it. Now you might say normally, oh, that's making the game too easy. But in this case, it might actually make the game be more universally played in that it is kind of accounting for what variations in input lag might be out there. And I think it's probably what we're going to be seeing more and more of. Developers have to think about this kind of stuff now when they're putting these games together. And you compare something like this to uh, the new Mega Man game that is on all the modern platforms. That one's a really hard game. And sometimes it's hard because everything has to be precisely timed when you do your jumps. And if that input lag is too high on the device that you're playing on, that's going to have an impact in your overall enjoyment of the game and perhaps its difficulty. It might be easier for somebody on a device with a faster display versus someone on a slower one. And this is just the reality that we're dealing with now. And I would love to see the game industry really look at this problem, both the hardware and the software side, because perhaps there could be some way we can bypass USB and go back to those uh, more direct electrical connections to make these games run just a little bit faster for players. Otherwise, I think maybe it's time to bring back the CRT televisions so some of those twitchy games can still be enjoyed today. Now, I would love to hear from some of you who have more technical experience with the hardware and software side of the games industry. Uh, Leave your comments down below in the video description and maybe inform all of us about the things that game developers and game hardware manufacturers have to think about now in relation to this problem because it really has changed how games are played. And I would love to hear some more about that from people who know more than I do on this topic. So let me know down below. Now, this next question comes in from Link Designs, who points out that the Pixel 3a that we reviewed a little bit earlier this week is getting some flack. He likens this to the same issues that uh, were brought up in regards to the Surface Go tablet, which I love quite a bit and I use all the time. Well, it turns out that the lower end Surface Go, the one that I have and the one that Linked has also, uh, is using eMMC storage, but the more expensive Surface Go tablet has faster uh, regular solid state M2 storage on board or maybe an NVMe or something. And Uh, He doesn't see much of a difference here on his devices, and that is exactly the same approach that I have taken in the review. Because when you look at a phone that is targeted at the general market, uh, I don't think most folks know or care what speed storage their device has. As long as it can take a picture and take a video every once in a while and not lock up or lag, I think they're going to be perfectly fine with it. And I share Link's opinion that on this Surface Go tablet, eMMC for me is just fine. I'm not capturing video on this thing. I'm not playing a lot of games on it. It is kind of like my go-to utilitarian uh, Windows device that boots up quickly. And I haven't had an issue with the slower storage speed. And I suspect most consumers don't either. And what I usually look at when I review a phone is what's the consumer looking for, the general consumer? Sure, the techies are going to want all the best and know exactly what is in the phone, but from the consumer experience, if the eMMC memory is not impacting the overall performance of what my mom or dad might do with the phone, it's not something that I think is worth spending a lot of time on because most consumers don't care about that. Does the computer boot up? Can I do my work on it? On this device? Absolutely. Can I take a picture on my phone? 
Yes, absolutely. And when you look at the price differences here between the regular Pixel 3 and the Pixel 3a, I think most consumers are going to be just fine, in fact, more than most, uh, paying half the price that the flagship phone costs, and they'll be getting a very good experience as a result. And that's the kind of thing that I try to focus on is what's the general consumer experience. And I'll leave it to the other folks out there who do great work focusing on a lot of the fine technical details because there are consumers out there that really want to know this stuff. But I found for me, uh, most people come to me for some practical advice, and that is the direction that I like to take in my reviews. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about how frustrated I was with Netflix and how every time I turn it on, I can't find anything to watch. I spend about a half hour browsing the menu, and then I just give up and go back to YouTube. And apparently, Dan Michaels here has some of the same frustrations that I have. And he brought up something that I hadn't even noticed, but apparently they got rid of the percentage match rating system, uh, which looks at what your preferences are and tells you how much of a match to those preferences that the content you are browsing equals. And now it's just like this thumbs up, thumbs down thing, and none of us know what the heck to watch anymore. So let me give you an example of what my Netflix home screen looks like right now. Uh, This is my profile. I only watch stuff on my profile. My wife has her own profile and the kids have their own profiles. So we don't have any bleed through here. And what I get is stuff that I either watched a lot of or just doesn't appeal to me. So I do have a list that I maintain of shows that I watch frequently. I've got some comfort food on my Netflix, like the Star Trek series, like Enterprise and Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. I have the West Wing here, some more Star Trek Uh, This was a show that was moderately appealing to me that I might have wanted to check out. A lot of times I don't invest too much time into a show until it's in its second season, so I know it's not going to waste my first season of viewership. I've been down that road before. Uh, And then like something like this shows up. So House of Cards was something that I watched and uh, liked in its earlier seasons, and I watched every episode of the entire show. Now, I didn't take it out of my list, but nonetheless, shouldn't Netflix be smart enough to know that I've seen the whole series here, and I may not want to see it in here anymore. Uh, So it really should not be showing me this thumbnail right now. I thought it would be better to get uh, another example like Colony here, where we've got some new episodes of something that uh, I had previously expressed interest in. So that was the first thing that I noticed. And then as you scroll down here, it's got new releases, but I don't know if these are being targeted to me or not. My assumption is not. Uh, This dead to me, I'd have to browse into it to see what it's about, but it doesn't look appealing to me on the surface of its thumbnail. Uh, The Avengers, maybe. Uh, Lucifer, definitely not. I have no idea what Wine Country is about. You know, maybe the Ted Bundy thing might be of interest, but really, I'm not understanding what is here. Is this stuff that it thinks I might like, or is this stuff that it just wants me to watch because they spent a lot of money producing it? And then you get into this trap. Endless scrolling and scrolling and scrolling of different categories. No idea as to what is what here. Half this stuff, even more than half of it, doesn't appeal to me at all. Here's something I already watched, the Fire uh, documentary. I'm not interested in that. Maybe I'll watch the Walt Disney thing. But you get an idea here. It's just like a bunch of stuff. And I, I can't figure out what I should watch. And I have too many choices. Now, take a look at what YouTube does. Now, they've been getting a lot of flack because they don't give you every subscribed video in your feed on the home screen of your device or your web browser here. But nonetheless, I can tell you that just about every one of these videos on this front page is something that I would likely watch. And every one of these appeals to me. Even if I clicked on the show more here, 
there's a good chance that 85 or 90 percent of the recommended videos are something that I can sit down and watch right away without having to browse too much. And that's the one thing that I love about YouTube, that when I sit down and turn it on, there's a good chance that it's going to put something in front of me that I can watch immediately and fill that eight or 10 minutes of time that I might have. And I much prefer to be watching something and being informed or entertained immediately as opposed to having to shop around for an hour to find what I'm looking for. And I think what's worked with YouTube is that they have significantly reduced the number of choices you have to things that it knows have a high likelihood of being watched. And one of the cool things about how this has been working is that there are some channels where I watch every video every time. So I love my friend Metal Jesus Rocks. I love every one of his videos. It always puts them in here for me every time. The Game Chasers and LGR and a bunch of other folks that I watch, those are always popping up right away. And I'm able to get to those without having to hunt around all that much. And I also enabled notifications on those channels just to be safe. And I can tell you just my experience with YouTube is just always better because I'm not wasting time with it. I'm watching all the time more than browsing. And Netflix used to be so good at this. They used to be able to you know, really hone things down and, and recommend things to you based on your preferences and your prior reviews. I remember spending a lot of time early on rating some of the movies that uh, I liked a lot, even ones I didn't rent from them, so that would improve its recommendations. And it used to be better than what it is now. And I think they're under pressure here to show you the value of your subscription by surfacing all of this stuff that they've produced themselves, that it's taking, I think, the personal touch away from it to the point where your personalized recommendations are no longer important. And I think that's going to be harmful for Netflix moving forward, because if they're competing against YouTube for my attention, uh, I am giving YouTube just much more of my attention because it's giving me things that I actually want to watch. And it's a much more efficient viewing experience for me right now. And hopefully YouTube will uh, continue moving in that direction because even though you may not see every video I produce, it will probably surface the topics that I have made that most appeal to you. And that's better for everybody in the end run. And I think sometimes less choice is actually more. So this week on the channel, we've got a couple of fun things to look at. This one really intrigued me. Uh, this is a mini PC that for 280 bucks gives you eight gigs of RAM, 128 gigs of storage, and a Celeron 3867U processor, which is a lot faster than the Gemini Lake chips that we typically look at because the architecture of this chip is the same as the i3, i5, and i7 chips that you might find in a laptop computer. So this is going to deliver some decent performance at a low price, uh, which is actually coming in fairly well configured too. I'm very surprised by this, so we'll see how well it does. Although their specifications list some limitations with the HDMI ports, which we will explore in that full review. Uh, the unboxing for this will likely be up tomorrow morning, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we also got in the ThinkPad, I think this is the S940 uh, from Lenovo, which is a small form factor uh, laptop PC, and this one also has some neat features. I guess it has a sensor on board that can look at where you are looking, and apparently if you shift your gaze away from the display to a monitor that's connected to it, it will automatically move the display over there. At least that's how I understand how it's supposed to work. Uh, so that's some of those unique features that we will uh, dive into a little bit on this one, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we also hopefully will finally get to that Dell monitor I've been talking about forever. It's still sitting in the box there. I just haven't had a chance to get to it yet. I do want to get this one off my list, so be on the lookout for a Dell 1440p monitor review 
It looks pretty cool, and we'll see if those bezels really are as thin as the product uh, photo looks at. And if we have time, I also got in this FLIR camera for the iPhone. It connects to the bottom of the phone and gives you a thermal camera that you can integrate with your existing phone. This will be the iPhone version. I think there might be one for Android. I'll poke around and see if there's any other options out there. But uh, this is the latest version of what they uh, had previously released, which wasn't as well received. So we'll see how this one does. This is the entry-level model, so be on the lookout for that. Now, if you want to help support the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or a one-time contribution to the channel. We also have our ongoing relationship with Plex. So if you sign up for a free Plex account, no credit card required, we will get a small commission for that. You can also sign up for a Plex Pass or gift a Plex Pass to a friend and we'll get a larger commission for doing that. So definitely check out Plex if you wish. Uh, We also have other channels you can watch me on, including my Extras channel, where we have unboxings, reviews, and supplementary content. Uh, We have my podcast, which is an audio version of this show that you can listen to on the go. We have the Snippets channel at lon.tv slash snippets, which takes portions of this show and puts them into search-friendlier formats. And, of course, we have my live stream archive at lon.tv slash live streams for watching my prior live events. You can click on the notification bell, which will let you know every time I go live or upload a video. It'll email you and push out notifications to your phone in case that recommended tab doesn't get it for you. And then you can engage with us in different ways by signing up for our email list, which is very infrequent. We have the Facebook page, which also includes some of the snippet and extra channel content. We have the Facebook group where you can communicate with me and other viewers of the show. And we also get a lot of great ideas for the wrap-up in there. Uh, So be sure to hop in there and join. You do have to answer two very easy questions to get in. And we are almost to 700 in that group. It's been going really well, so check it out. And then we have the store where I sell things that I've previously purchased to review here on the channel and I'm now getting rid of. A little later this week, we're going to be selling that Samsung laptop, so be on the lookout for that. If you want to get notified as to when those items go up for sale, you can sign up for my store alert email, which will send you an email every time I update the store. So definitely check it out if you are looking for a deal on something. And that is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. I want to thank you all for your continued support of the channel. Please keep those comments and questions coming because it helps fuel what I do throughout the week. And if you haven't already, definitely subscribe to the Extras channel because I get a lot of feedback Uh, from the unboxings that end up in my main review. Uh, So if you haven't already, definitely go over to lon.tv slash extras because if you have a question and you ask it in the comment stream of that unboxing before I shoot the review, there's a good chance we'll try to work it into what we're looking at for the product. So check it out. And until then, keep those questions and comments coming. And thank you all for watching. We'll see you next time. This channel is brought to you by the lon.tv supporters including Gold Level supporters, The Four Guys with Quarters podcast, Tom Albrecht, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash support to learn more.
And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.